order, disorder, reorder. This is the way of things. From life to, we're arguing scripture, but you see it also in sports and gardening and climate and business and forestry and chemistry and ecosystems and your bodily systems to evolution to history to narratives and plot lines and literature and movies and playwrights. This is the rhythm of things. Order, disorder, reorder. Order always gives way to disorder. And it can stay disordered for a very long time, centuries if it must, until something acts upon it. And that's what I want you to see today. Order will always give way to disorder, but that middle ground, it can linger. When you drive into Stanton on 250, you pass the Chick-fil-A, the Bojangles that's new on the left is the entrance to the Frontier Culture Museum. And if you keep looking up, you see the gigantic, dilapidated building that looks like something out of Hogwarts. Every time I pass it on the way to Stanton, I realize how true what I just said is. Order will always give way to disorder. And it'll just stay like that for a very long time. That building's not going anywhere until acted upon. But eventually, time and weather and pressure will eventually tear it down. But that middle disorder can last for what feels like an eternity. Something new needs to enter the fray if it's to change. Well, the same is true for our faith. When we are left to our own devices, we will fail. We will weaken, we will fall short, and we will become disordered. It's just the way of things. I mean, how many diets have you started and then you're currently not actively doing them? How many times have you attempted to start a devotion at 7 a.m. every single morning and you do well Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and then, well, you haven't done it since that Wednesday so many years ago? Order always gives way to disorder, and it'll just stay that way for a while. And that's what we're exploring in Scripture and through this series this summer. And the process that I'm talking about, it actually has a name. It's called canonical scholarship. You study the canon of Scripture as a whole. Imagine that you're on the balcony looking down at a dance floor. That's what canonical scholars do. They pay attention to the entirety of Scripture And they see things that others don't. And they make note of movements and trends throughout the biblical text. And at times, it's very helpful to do this. You need to be able to get in the weeds of Scripture and study individual words, and you need to get into texts, and you need to dissect them and break them apart. But it's also good to get up on the balcony and to get 30,000 feet above Scripture and to see the major movements of the text. What you're going to see? Order, disorder, reorder. There are micro-movements to the Bible, but by and large, Genesis to Deuteronomy is about setting up the order of how life is to work. 
Then nomadic groups form civilizations in the Old Testament in which laws are then written for how life is to be governed. And then judges are put in place and then kings are to govern those laws. Communities begin to order themselves around central universal themes. And that's not so different today at all. And we see this most clearly, I think, with the story in Exodus and the Ten Commandments. And for those who may not know the story, Israel was enslaved by the Egyptians. Moses and Aaron, through heroic and out-of-this-world happenings, rescue God's people and lead them to Mount Sinai, where more out-of-this-world happenings unfold. Exodus is worth all of our time to read it. It's long, so you would take days to get through it. But I want to zoom in on Exodus 19, 1 through 6. This is the moment Israel arrives at Mount Sinai. Moses rescues them from Egypt. And then this is where we get the note that he is to go up onto the mountain and speak with God. You may never have heard this portion of the story. On the third moon after the Israelites had gone out of the land of Egypt. On that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They had journeyed from Rephidim, entered the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him in the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and to tell the Israelites, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, says God, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom, and a holy nation. So it's here, Exodus 19, where things start to order. God enacts rules for Israel to follow, and it's beautifully ordered. I mean, even right after this, Exodus 20, that's the story of the Ten Commandments. And when you break them down, there's five of them for how we're supposed to relate to God, and five of them how we're supposed to relate to one another. We have heard these ten orders before. Love God the most, no false idols, don't profane the Lord's name, keep the Sabbath, don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery, love those who parent you, and please don't tell a lie. But you may not know that Moses didn't just collect ten commandments on Mount Sinai. He was up there for several weeks. He got lots of laws from God that he came down to enact. And that's what Exodus 21 through 32 tell us. I mean, for instance, Exodus 21 is about what laws that we should enact about property rights and values. I mean, even way back then, we cared about where the property line was drawn and how much your land was worth. I mean, Exodus 22 is the laws of restitution. If someone steals your oxen, what are you owed when you get it back? Exodus 23 is about annual festivals and sabbatical years for our crops and how we rotate them. Exodus 24 through 30 might be the most boring chapters in all the Bible, but it goes into great detail 
about how the beautification of the tabernacle is to be created, how the Ark of the Covenant is to be protected, what the priestly garments should look like, how priests should be ordained, and how you administer incense when you're worshiping in the tabernacle. It is chapter after chapter of how God's people are to order themselves. And all of this came to Moses at Sinai. But it doesn't last. It barely even begins. And you need this part of the story too. Moses goes up to Sinai to speak to God. God writes ten universal truths and commands them on tablets for which how life will be governed. But what's happening down on the ground while Moses is up on the mountain? Humanity has fallen into disorder. You know this story as the story of the golden calf. Let me read it. Exodus 32, starting in verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us. Who shall go before us? As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what became of him. And Aaron said to them, Take off all the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters. Bring all the gold to me. So all the people took all the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it, molded it, made a cast of an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods. O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he then built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow we're going to have a festival to the Lord. And they rose early the next day. They offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. This was all to the golden calf. You jump to verse 15. Then Moses turned and went down the mountain, carrying the two tablets of the covenant in his hands, tablets that were written on both sides, written on the front and on the back. As soon as he came near the camp and he saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. He threw the tablets from his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made, burned it with fire, grounded it into powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. That's fantastic. That is, I mean, awesome. Go back. I did not make any of that up. That is directly in your Bible. He burns the calf, pounds it into powder, puts it into water, and makes the Israelites drink it. Let me tell you what you just heard. Moses was up on the mountain getting orders for God for how we are to live together in this world. But down off the mountain, humanity was left to their own devices and they disordered everything and they did it fast, which tells me something about humanity that I think is still true today. We all need something outside of us, acting upon us, inserted among us to correct the disorder. We need reordering. For Israel, this is what the law of Moses attempted to do. It's what the priestly class emerged from within to become. 
This for us today, though, ultimately, is Jesus. He is our great reorderer. And to some extent, the church should be too. We as the church are that thing that reaches out into the lives of people as that something new that can hold their disorder, that can even help name it and not create a path backwards, but rather to give people a path forward out of the enslavement of their own sin and help reorder them to new life. And there's so many examples of this, and we're going to keep exploring one after another as we get through these weeks this summer. But I want to leave you with this. Disorder is the inevitable breaking of what was. Creation is always going to give way to sin. The Ten Commandments will always give way to idol worship. Time and pressure and stress and weather, it all plays a part. Disorder always follows order. It's inevitable. So what does this cautionary tale of Exodus and the Ten Commandments have to say to us today? Well, the Ten Commandments are a beautiful attempt at ordering. But disorder is inevitable. And reorder requires a conscious act. Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai became unconscious to their disorder and needed Moses to correct them. And the same is true for us. We all get disordered. The coronavirus is a great example of this. Everything that has been and will be is changed. So we, like Moses, are free to rage for a moment, but we must become conscious if we're to help God build a better path forward. Moses goes on to partner with God to reorder Israel's lives, and it works until he dies, which then Israel unconsciously falls into disorder over and again. And what we're going to see next week is what happens when we take that downward spiral of what unconscious behavior and systems can do on a community. It takes centuries for Israel to reorder themselves, only to fall prey to exile and another great disordering. And the story just repeats itself over and over again. And so do ours. Order disorder, reorder. It still happens today. So ask yourself, how are you ordered? What caused your great disordering? And finally, what are you consciously doing to reorder that?